Well, welcome to, to fall, to uh, cover bridge time, to fall break time, to winter all at once in one weekend. It's been beautiful. It, it's been great. I know they mentioned earlier there's a whole bunch of things in your, in your bulletin, but I wanted to point out just a couple things and let you know about something else that I just found out about last night. Um, we do have this holiday dinner coming up, and there's this sign-up out there um, for a talent show. Now, see, we're still new here, so we have no idea what incredible talents actually uh, await us um, from amongst this, this group. Uh, keep in mind, it, it doesn't have to be anything incredibly serious, though it could be. Maybe you have a story to share uh, or something like that. We would love to that. I know there's some people here who are storytellers because you've told me some stories. And I don't believe them. So um, <laughs> please, please share those uh, with folks because that, that's fun. That's fun. Uh, next week, Ben Miller, uh, the director of Camp Ileana, will be here. We're going to continue to work on this partnership with camp, and we want to grow it to, to honestly bigger than it's ever been before. That's our goal because uh, we're such a huge believer in camp and what happens there and, and what kids I get to experience there. And so each year in October, we're going to have him up to kind of give us a little review of the camp that we so, so gladly support. And then opportunity for him um, to speak as well. So make sure you're here next week to hear all about camp and, and things moving moving forward. I mentioned several weeks ago that uh, the Poland stuff is, is set for d- uh, April 20th, and I told you I would have information for you. I've decided to delay that till October 27th. On the 27th, I'll have some paperwork for you with some specifics and things like that. And what the reason I did that was I want you to spend this month just praying is this something I might be supposed to do? Before you know the specifics and the details and, and all of those things, you've got a date. Is this something that God wants you to be a part of, going over and helping rebuild this, this part of their Christian camp there? And so that's, that's what we're waiting. So October 27th, that Sunday, we will have those details in place for you to hand out to anyone that is interested in going. Um, last thing that, that I have um, in, in this world, um, Jason and McKenna will be back uh, on October 26th and 27th, and that Sunday after church, uh, there'll be an opportunity for families and, and children's ministry volunteers to have lunch with her um, and just some, share some things with her and her with you and just really begin to get to know her uh, even better. So please sign up for that dinner so we know how much food to have. Uh, there should be something in your bulletin for you to sign up. You can just put that in the, the offering um, plates or uh, wherever, and the, the uh, box on the welcome Center is just fine for that. That is perfect. And then lastly, uh, you might have noticed as you walked in, depending on which side of the building you walked in, there's some paint on the ground outside this this door on the southeast corner of the building. Um, and materials have been ordered. Um, we've we've, we've uh, ordered the materials to build an awning over here, a drop-off point for folks in and out of the rain and the snow and the elements. And so um, that's part of what we're going to be doing this fall. So watch for emails and invitations. On November 3rd, we're having a specific, or 2nd, sorry, we're having a specific work day here at the church. We're going to do a lot of projects, little things, big things, um, all kinds of things, just, just to, this is God's house. And we got to take care of it. Um, and sometimes that kind of just falls through the crack, and, and we don't want that to happen anymore. And so if you could volunteer for an hour or two on that su- Saturday morning, man, we would appreciate it. We need about 20 folks here, 25 folks here. We can knock off everything very quickly um, and, and get out of here and, and get home. But there's a couple bigger projects we'll be working on, too. That might be you that gets to be a part of that. I got an email last night um, at some point in time, and I checked it. From Mike Campbell, and I don't know any details at all. So if you know Mike, um, he emailed me and said, hey, we got a family in church that could use a little help at, at their home. 
I do not know who he's referring to. I don't know what help exactly it is. But he said, if anybody says, yes, I would love to just find out more about that, see him. He should be here after this service. He'll be here second as well. I don't know exactly. It might be cleaning in the home. I truly don't know what those details are. But if you got an hour, you could run over and help somebody out this week. Uh, man, it sounds like he would greatly appreciate that. I said, don't know details. He didn't share those with me. And so he just asked me to direct you to him. All right, what an opportunity to serve in this time of thanksgiving that we're coming up in. Go help out a family in need from our church. So be thinking about that today as we read God's word. Father God, I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited about diving into your word. Uh, Father, it's it's great to have a body of Christ who is thinking of others first and foremost. And when you go down uh, this this list of things uh, that I mentioned, almost every single one of them have to do with someone other than ourselves. Father, ministry, work to be done. Father, your house to take care of. Folks within our own midst that are in need. And Father, I could just use a little extra assistance. I pray that those volunteers rise up to whether to serve here for them or to serve in a foreign country of Poland. What an opportunity we have to show our gratitude, our thankfulness to you for what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles to chapter 2 of Ephesians. We're going to be covering the rest of chapter 2 today and then chapter 3 as well. So go ahead and turn there as we get started. Last week, we spent most of our time in one particular set of verses. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace we've been saved through faith. And this is not of our own, but this is a gift from God so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It really couldn't be any more clear. No one, let me repeat that, no one will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven apart from God's grace. No one will. There's no way to earn it. There's no way to be good enough. Only the faith that we have in Jesus can provide this incredible gift for us. And then he reminds his readers, Paul does, that us today, that we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece, his work of art. And as as you go through life and you have those terrible, awful, rotten, no good days, because we all have them, to step back from that moment and everything that's surrounding you in life and remember that you are God's workmanship. You are his prized possession. Won't fix all of the pain and heartache and whatever might be happening, but it should give you some assurance in your life that you are special because you are. In Christ, we've been reborn. We've been recreated to do these good works which God has laid out for us. They're waiting for us right now in this moment. It's our choice whether or not we do them though. But it is God's plan. It is God's will in our life that we pursue these good works. Simple things in our lives, things like being a godly parent, a godly employee or coworker, Showing love to those that you just randomly meet along the way. Being generous with our resources, maybe even our finances. Maybe Jesus is even calling us to a a deeper level of commitment to rise up and to serve within this body of Christ here. Teaching or leading or loving those that God brings into our midst. Maybe it's beyond that. Maybe he is calling you to go and to serve in other places, doing completely new things, spreading the good news of Jesus through your skills and your abilities and passions that God has given you. There's so many opportunities. God could be calling some of you into full-time ministry of some kind, whether in an actual church physical location or maybe with another organization or maybe just on your own helping those in need. 
You see, the possibilities are endless. We oftentimes limit it to this narrow focus of just the church per se. There's so many opportunities to serve outside of these confines. We just must realize that God created us with this ability, with the desire for us. And this is one of the ways that we were created to love God. And it's also one of the ways when you get involved with these forms of service, when you get involved with following these things that God has placed in your life, you begin to realize that God loves you even more as you serve. It's an incredible, incredible feeling. So what does Paul follow that with? Because quite honestly, he could have put a period at the end of verse 10, put the pen down, wrapped up the letter, sent it on its way to Ephesus. Everything that needed to be said truly had been said. Ephesians, they would have been encouraged. They would have been edified and they would have been challenged with this very, very short one-page letter from Paul. But he didn't stop there. Why? There was more that he needed to share. There was some more passion he had to pour into these people because there were things they just weren't understanding. It was obvious that there was division within this church in Ephesus. It's clear that they're having a hard time accepting the full scope and range of the love of Jesus. There's even a clue that some people within the church might believe, or have a difficult time, sorry, believing that God is actually in control and that he alone can provide all that they need. You know, I am just so glad that we don't have any of those problems in the church today, aren't you? It's almost as if Paul knew no, it's almost as if humans never change. The same things they're going through then, we're going through today. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 is where we'll pick off. Therefore, remember that formerly, remember that past? Formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now the gospel had been being spread now for approximately 30 years. It's about 30 years after the day of Pentecost that's described in Acts chapter 2. Paul has spent years helping to found and build up churches all over, but in particular this church and teaching those people the ways of Jesus. Yet here he is, writing from a jail cell, working to put out fires that should have never ever existed or even started in the first place. There were still some Jewish Christians hanging on, trying to bring the Gentiles into the Jewish customs and the Jewish laws. Now the really frustrating part for Paul was this whole matter had been completely settled at the Council of Jerusalem nearly 10 years prior to this. He'd already shared all of that with them. There is no reason for them to even be discussing it, yet here they still are discussing it. Keep in mind that this passage also speaks to non-believers because when they read this passage, they will find themselves in this place of exile outside of the love of God, and we must remember that it's our job to bring that hope to them, to bring this Jesus to them. But notice again in this very short verse the thing that Paul references time and time again in every single one of his letters Jesus. Everything he tells us, everything he points to us, everything we could consider to be a rule or regulation on our lives. No, Paul always points right back to Jesus and do this out of love for him. Do this because of what he did for you, not do this because I said so. There's a very big difference 
and Paul's passion there. Please notice that that continues throughout. In Christ, you were far away, he reminds them. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, you have been brought near. Not only is there no other name under which any man can be saved, but there's also no other name under heaven by which man can be unified. No other name can break down the walls of hostility between nations or neighbors or Republicans and Democrats. It's true. Only the name of Christ can unify mankind. And verse 14, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself a new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now in our world, this reconciliation goes way beyond Jews and Gentiles. In the ancient world, those were the only two people groups. In our world, this reconciliation absolutely flows into every skin color, every ethnicity, every belief system that exists out there can be reconciled ultimately to Jesus. We can bring those people to faith in Jesus. Every socioeconomic level that exists, we are all one we are called to be one in Christ Jesus. He alone provides the peace that we're all seeking. When we become a follower of Jesus, we are made right with God. We are no longer found in opposition to him. And this is the power through which we can be made right with our fellow man. Paul, of all people, who has always seemed to be at odds with folks, writes in, in Romans chapter 12, as far as it depends on you, if it is possible, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. You see, it's only possible through Jesus. This peace with God has been established when the law was fulfilled through the shedding of Christ's blood. Jesus satisfied the penalty of the law for all who believe. The words of Jesus, those that he shouted from the cross, the final ones, it is finished, which was actually just one word, teleo, paid in full. It's done. The work has been completed. And as a result of that sacrifice for you, and for me, we now have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for access means the right to approach. Think, think movies you've seen of kings and queens and rulers. And not just anyone could go up and talk to the king. You just couldn't get an appointment to meet with the king and share whatever you had to share. You had to earn that right. You had to pay for that right. Something had to happen for you to do that. In our case, Jesus, Jesus has granted us an all-access pass. To the God of all creation. It's so intimate, in fact, that he allows us to call him Abba, Father. God is literally our adopted Father in this world. It's an incredible transition. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God, his people, and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in God. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, the Jews didn't look very favorably on those that were not Jews. It's just that simple. They were, everyone else was an outcast or worse. 
But Jesus has now changed the whole game. He's granted the Gentiles, everyone that is not Jewish, who happens to come to faith in Jesus, he's granted all of those people full citizenship in the household of God. This was not widely accepted at first in the Jewish community. We are all one. We are one in Christ. Our unity is found in the immovable, unbreakable cornerstone of Jesus. In him and through him we are joined together. In him we are continually being built up and held together. This is an ongoing process. Listen to the language that Paul uses here. Christ raises the church up to become a holy temple, and you too are being built together to become. To become. It's always in the future. We're always moving ahead. We will never be finished, satisfied, completed in this lifetime. He always wants us to become more like him. He's always building shaping, molding, guiding, filling, and leading us because we can never become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are today. Moving on to chapter three, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. He revealed that earlier in chapters one, which was not made known to the people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that the gospel to the Gentiles are now heirs of, with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to become plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now, do you, like me, find it interesting that it's not until literally halfway through the letter that Paul says, oh, by the way, I'm writing you this letter while I'm sitting in prison. Think about that just for a moment. He was put in jail for a crime he didn't really commit. It was simply a matter of difference of opinion and or actually based originally on a complete lie back in Jerusalem, and yet here he is in prison, not mentioning anything. If that were you, and you were put in prison, wrongly accused, forced there against your will, probably until ultimately your death, as Paul was, how would you have written that letter? What would have been the first thing that you wrote in that letter? Would you have first reminded people by praising your God? Would you have secondly put in there, hey, remember the blessings that you've received because of your faith? In Christ, would you have reminded them exactly how they are saved by grace through this new found faith and the incredible works that God is preparing for them to do? Or might you have started the letter by reminding everyone that you're in prison, that you're miserable, that it's not fair that you're there, probably frustrated, angry, maybe even a little depressed because of the situation that you find yourself in. Maybe just complaining a little bit about the food or the atmosphere, if you will, of your location before you ever got to any kind of encouragement. See, Paul's focus in these letters is simply remarkable. I couldn't have done it. There's no way I could have sat in prison and written these words of joy and encouragement to these other people while I suffer. 
It's just not the way we're wired at this point. Until we become more like Jesus, we're always thinking of ourselves. And here Paul is thinking of everyone else but himself. He later pins these words in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Wow, if we could all do that. I know what it is to be in need. We all do, don't we? I know what it is to have plenty. We all know that as well. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, Paul is content in his circumstances. Now, keep in mind, would he have loved to have been out evangelizing, reaching, teaching, preaching? Absolutely he would have, but he knew that he could serve a purpose even where he was. Instead of longing for more for himself, he longs to see the church, the bride of Christ, the body of believers grow in their faith. Paul's current imprisonment is a direct result of his ministry to the Gentiles. The original accusation was that they brought Gentiles into the synagogue back in Jerusalem. If all followers of Jesus could live life in this way, Paul is thanking God for the Gentiles, which are the reason why he's in prison if we would seek to benefit others before ourselves, the world as we know it would become a different place. The church that we exist within would be a very different place. Because when we take a back seat, did you know there's something in store for us as well? The funniest thing happens when we take the back seat, we are blessed in a totally different way. We're best blessed by God as we obey and follow his lead. But further, we're blessed to see those people around us begin to grow in their faith. As we serve them and we see them growing closer to Christ, it is an incredible feeling. We're blessed by the peace that comes along with the contentment that we found in Jesus. And then Paul goes into the talk about this great mystery once again, the secret that has been revealed through the person of Jesus. Now for us, we don't understand mysteries and secrets anymore because you and I can pull this out right now and in less than a second, we can Google about any topic on planet Earth and they'll give us an answer. Now, it may not be the right answer, but they'll give us an answer. Well, most of our issues, most of our things, problems can be solved very, very quickly with a quick search. We can't fathom the idea of waiting 2,000 years to figure something out. We, we, it, it's so far beyond our comprehension. It, it doesn't happen that way. But that's exactly what God did with the Jews. He began the physical pathway to Jesus through Abraham more than 2,000 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. He started giving clues. You can turn all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. When God said in Genesis 12, 3 that all the people of the earth will be blessed through you, he's referring to that moment when the Gentiles and Jews would be united as one people through the blood of Jesus. The same thing is echoed in Genesis 22, 18, as God promises that through Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, not just the Jews. The prophet Isaiah repeats it over and over. Chapters 11, 49, 54, and 60 he talks about this. The Jewish audience would hear things like this in verse 49, chapter, or chapter 49, verse 6. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Now, we read that passage and go, well, now, didn't Isaiah just kind of let the cat out of the bag there? Didn't he just tell them about this Messiah and exactly what would happen? Well, yes. <laughs> well, why didn't they hear it? This was some 700 years before the time of Christ. Either they missed it or they didn't want to hear it because they didn't want the Gentiles to be blessed. Either way, the writing had been on the wall, as they say, for a very long, long, long time. And now, Paul has been handpicked by Jesus to share this mystery, this secret, with anyone 
who will listen. As you read and hear Paul's words, it strikes me to think about a man who had done so much for the church and suffered so much as well, that he is still at this moment surprised. He's overwhelmed. He's grateful. He's amazed and he's humbled that God would choose him to carry this news. In verse 8, he says he's the least of all of God's people, yet grace has made it possible for him to carry this message. I can share in that with him. It's incredible to be blessed with the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people that you know and love. Paul then reveals one of the objectives God has in mind for the church in verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with the freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Did you ever realize that Christ has another purpose beyond just sharing the good news of Jesus for the church? the bride of Christ. We are to be putting on full display the wisdom of God. We are to be living in his wisdom. We are to be living according to God's wisdom. We are to be living in such a way that not only those on earth around us, but even angels and demons alike will see the wisdom of God on display, his perfect plan for salvation for all of humanity. God's purposes will be accomplished in his time. You see, no one saw Jesus coming. No one saw the Son of God being sent to this earth to offer up his life for the forgiveness of all who would accept him. No one saw God using this opportunity to bring all of mankind back to himself into a right relationship. No one saw God using this moment to allow everyone full access to God, a freedom to approach him with anything that never happened before. The confidence that comes through our relationship with Jesus. There's no need to fear before our Heavenly Father. The author of Hebrews states it this way. It's beautiful in chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses because we have one who has been tempted in every way as he walked around this earth just as we are and yet did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We must rely on that and understand that Jesus has been there, done that, and he has now granted us access to that heavenly Father. Now these final few verses of Ephesians are pretty special. Listen very closely and see what it says. Verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, Paul, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and how to know this love that surpasses Knowledge that you may be filled to the measure with the fullness 
of God. This is an incredible prayer for anyone in all of Scripture to write, especially a man of God who is existing in prison. But when you remember Paul and his past and who he was, from a man who sought to destroy every element of the Jesus movement, a man who sought to destroy the entire message behind Jesus Christ and what he did. This is now who he's become. And this is now what he's begging everyone to discover, the full knowledge of the love of God because Paul has experienced that love and that grace in his life. He prays that people will learn to draw their, their strength, not from themselves, as culture would say, but from the spirit of God within them. That the presence of Christ will be felt in their inmost being. There's no denying that. That they will be rooted and established in the law in rules and regulations, in church bylaws and politics, in worship styles and church budgets. No. No, no, Paul's prayer is that we will be rooted and established in love. Paul uses the word grasp. It's translated in our English Bibles, but it means so much more than just to hold on to or to simply understand. The Greek word means to lay hold of as to make one's own to obtain, to attain, to, to take possession of. It is yours to claim as your own and then to share with others. But how can we if it's beyond our ability to fully know or understand? Well, I read an explanation this last week, actually not several weeks ago when I was writing this, that actually helped me a lot. I hope that it does you too. Think of it this way. Think of a child who was taken to the shore of the ocean for the very first time. From their perspective and yours as well, because many of you have been there, right? You look out and you never ever see an end to what lies before you. We should never cease to marvel at the magnitude of the love of Jesus. We should never stop standing on the shores of God's endless love with just all amazement and wonder at the unimaginable width and length and height and depth of his great love for us. And so when you begin to wonder that in your mind, go to the shore and begin to look out on that sea. And remember, that represents God's love for you. It never, ever ends. It's a great visual. I pray that you won't forget that. Paul's praying for us to understand, to comprehend, to even experience the full measure of God's love. With Christ at your center, you'll be able to grasp it. You'll be able to obtain it, even possess the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. But one of the many reasons why I really want you to follow along in God's word when I read it to you is because I might do something like this to you. If you were reading along, then you'll noted that something was missing. I completely deleted an entire phrase out of that passage. You must pay attention to see these things because it's a very important thing. I wanted to draw it out, and the only way I could do that is to leave it out to begin with. Did you notice the key to being rooted and established in God's love? The key to fully grasping the scope of Jesus' love, it's the little phrase, being together with all the Lord's holy people. You see, this is where we will discover these things. This is where we will experience such love. This is the well from which we draw the love to take out and go to those around us in need. Let me read the whole passage to you again. In verse 14, for this reason I, Paul, kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Do you see where you learn those secrets? It's not by yourself. It's together with the Lord's holy people. First and foremost, united with God, and second, united in love with one another. If we do that, if we allow God to do that and unite us in that way, God will move in your life. Absolutely, he will. And he will move in this place in a mighty, mighty way. Now, the final verse of this chapter is a pretty special one to my family. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I hope you caught that. God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now what I want to challenge you to do is for a moment, don't think about the whole world as a whole. Don't think about incredible human achievement. No, consider this. God is able to do immeasurably more than you, than you could ever ask or imagine. Now, my personal life is absolutely a witness to that truth. This passage in Ephesians is one of my wife's very favorites for that very reason. You see, as some of you know, when you're diagnosed with a disease or an illness or things like that, there's all kinds of medical treatments and, and ways to sustain and things that can happen. But when you're diagnosed with a, a, a failure of an organ in your body that keeps you alive, the rules change because you won't stay alive forever without that organ functioning. And when the doctor seven years later tells you, hey, it's time to think about that. And you've got to put it out there and say, hey, everybody, um, I need a kidney from somebody somewhere. Yeah, your name gets on a list for the potential of a donor that exists out there somewhere, maybe under God's green earth. <laughs> but to wait on that, to pray for God to accomplish that, to pray that maybe some donor will be found somewhere, to have friends you know are going and getting tested to see if they would be a match for you. To think about that and the impossibility of all of those things and then just two months later, after really beginning that process, to have someone come to you and say, hey, I'm a perfect match. The surgery's in October. And you go, whoa, hey, God, impossibly more than anyone could ever ask or even imagine just happened. And next Sunday will be a two-year anniversary of that transplant. And my doctors are completely satisfied and happy and everything's working absolutely perfectly. Praise be to God. By his grace alone, I am saved, both spiritually and physically. You see, when you begin to apply these texts to your life and you realize how true they are, it's undeniable the riches of God's grace. And I'm a living witness to that. Christian author William Hendrickson sums it up this way. God is able to do all that we ask, He's even able to do things that we dare not ask him but merely imagine. He can do far more than this, very far more. You see, neither the narrowness of our knowledge nor the feebleness of our prayers will ever limit the richness of God's gifts. It's an incredible thing to consider. God is only waiting for us 
to fully commit to him and to reside within his love. For you, that might mean you've never accepted the gift that God offers you and his sacrifice that he made for you on that cross. And if that's you, if you've never accepted that gift, then today is the day. There's nothing. There's nothing that if Paul were standing here today, he would be more pleased about than someone hearing the words he's sharing, the passion of his heart poured out and him revealing this mystery, the secret of salvation to you and you coming forward to accept his Jesus and our Jesus into your life. But the reality is we know there's a lot of people here who have been a believer for a very long time. But I challenge you, are you different today than you were last Sunday? Are you different today in the hearing of God's words, in the presence of his people, in the singing of his praises? Are you different today than you were yesterday? If you don't leave here different today, challenged, changed, and empowered by God's word, then there's a problem between you and God at this moment in time. And you need to repent of that, and you need to pray for you, and we need to help you get through that so you can grow once again so we can break down those walls, those barriers, that hostility that somehow exists between you and your heavenly father, because he has great works for you to do the second you stand up from this seat. He has good works to do as you sit there and pray here in just a moment on your own. He has somebody in mind for you to pray for. He has somebody in mind for you to go and speak to this very day. Are you willing to step out and do that? Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Paul's words will never cease to be an inspiration, and we know that's because you and you alone are the one that inspired him and inspired his pen. Fathers, we gather together each week and, and throughout the week at various small groups and lunches and meetings. Father, may we never ever forget the measure of your love as we continue to learn, as we continue to grow into it and try to fathom how much you truly love us. May we rest assured knowing that you do. We may never solve that mystery. We may never be able to fully experience and figure that out, but Father, we can always rest in the fact and the knowledge that you do. And if something in your word today moves someone in your spirit to draw closer to you, Father, first and foremost, through the act of actually accepting your son, confessing his name, repenting of their sins and being washed in the waters of baptism, we pray that that moves in this house. But Father, if it's one of your longtime faithful members who just struggles in life, who's dealing with issues, who is having a hard time like this church, experiencing the love in their own life because of their own physical ailments or limitations, or because of a relationship that's been shattered. Father, I pray that today begins the day of restoration for those people that they feel and experience the love of Jesus in a way they never have before. Let no one walk from this place without your word inspiring them to live within that love. It's in Jesus' name we pray.